This is On Call with Dr. Dave. Today I'm talking to Dr. Ryan. And Dr. Ryan and I did medical school together, but it's been been a few years since we uh, got in touch with each other. And he stayed in the same city where we did medical school, and I jumped around, and I went to four different cities since then. So he's been in the unique uh, situation where he's kind of stayed put, which is really interesting. Yeah. And you went into radiology originally, and I mean, you're a radiologist, yeah. but then it sounds like your interests have sprouted since then. So you're not just in the traditional radiology role where you're sitting looking at films. Right. You have a lot of patients on hands experience yeah. with patients and that's your day-to-day -day life is working with people directly which is a little outside what most radiologists do mm -hmm. so ryan welcome to the podcast and if you wanted to you know fill us in a little bit more that's about as much as i know <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i i don't think a lot of people know what i do um, or what breast imagers do it's sort of a niche little field of radiology and just as a background I didn't think I was going to do what I, I had no idea about this in medical school. If you told me my, my medical school self that I would be doing this, I would have been like, you're nuts. That's not, <laughs> I don't even know what that is. <laughs> um, but, you know, finishing my intern year and going into radiology mm -hmm. and then like while doing it, I loved interventional radiology, but I still had that like need to see patients and we had a fair bit of patient interaction and doing like biopsies and really interesting oncology work while in radiology. And I enjoyed like the procedures part. So in radiology, we do image guided procedures like um, drain placements and port placements. And in interventional radiology, we do like interventional oncology stuff where we administer drugs through um, like arteries and um, we'll do like freezing tumors and microwave ablating tumors. So it's really cool. Um, mm -hmm. It's just a matter of like, are you going to do that? And where are you going to do that? So breast imaging is like a sub rotation of radiology for radiology residents. And it's different. It's a clinic. Patients come in, you know, predominantly it's women. It starts with mammograms getting your annual mammogram. Um, but it also is seeing patients that have problems, like they feel a new lump in their breasts. They might have some discharge from their nipple that's not normal. You know, pain is very common, it's usually normal, but it causes a lot of distress um, for them. And so we see, you know, not only the annual patients, but also patients that come in with a problem. And that's really where it really, it caught my attention. So. I could read images like mammograms and find something and call them back and then direct the imaging and then see the patient and talk to them and do a procedure on them. And they were my patient. And then I would follow them through, do the biopsy. And then once we found out what it was, I would give them the news, whether it's, you know, everything is fine or this is cancer. Let's move on to the next step. Mm -hmm. And so that's, really was like, wow, I can, I can do all of this and make a life out of this and affect people and really help them on their journey. Because for breast cancer, it's really one of those cancers where you didn't, you really didn't do anything. You didn't like 
you didn't drink heavily, cause cirrhosis, and now you have like liver um, cancer. It's really one of those things where it's just, it's spontaneous and it happens. And you're, the patient is kind of like the innocent bystander in the whole process. And how can we shepherd them on their journey? So, and it affects so many women, one in eight women. And it can happen to women in like as young as in their mid twenties or like in their late nineties, you know? So it's anywhere in between. And um, we see a lot of younger women, like last week I had a 38 year old that had a triple negative breast cancer and they're scared, you know? And can you explain, um, you will probably get into this a little bit, but some of the people that listen aren't in medicine, so they won't understand what a triple negative is or, Mm -hmm. you know, the testing that you do. And yeah. that's something, yeah, a lot of that stuff too, like you were talking about, just, I did a couple days in the mammogram suite when I was on my OB rotation. <laughs> right, and yeah. I mean, I, I felt so bad. I mean, you just like coming in, you're mashing the breast, you're putting between these two plates and just mm-hmm. squeezing and putting those clamps down so you can get a good image. Right. And it's just so vulnerable for these women as well that you're just in this cold room with these plates that come, somebody you don't know is then just compressing the breast between that. And like you said, one in eight women. I mean, right. you think about your mom, your mother-in-law, a couple mm-hmm. grandparents, mm-hmm. you're going to know somebody with breast cancer. It's going to affect somebody in your life at some point. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I mean, the concept, the technique of doing a mammogram really hasn't changed <laughs> since yeah. the 1950s. <laughs> you know, I mean, essentially, like the whole point is you compress the breast, you thin it out, you can see through the tissue better when it's thinner. Um, and it's x-rays. So there's always the concern about radiation exposure. Although as we've gotten better with our technology, it's gotten less and less of a dose. It's about equivalent to like living on earth for like three to four weeks. So (laughs) average standard mammogram, which people don't really understand. And our technology has improved. Like now most people get a 3D mammogram, which is pretty much the standard of care throughout the United States. And that helps us a lot, especially we can see cancers that we never saw before. And we want to catch them when they're really tiny. So they have less of a chance of spreading to the axillary lymph nodes, like under the arm. Because the concept is like, if you find the cancer while it's in the breast and hasn't spread, you're not going to die from that. You caught it. It's when the cancer leaves the breast and goes to other places, then you set up a problem. Yeah. You know, and it's harder to treat. And then, so, you can, yeah, I can go into the triple negative, just what that means for patients, yeah, why yeah. that's scarier for them than it sounds great. Negative. A lot of times we tell the yeah. people that the test is negative. That's good news. But yeah, you know, if you want to explain a little bit what that means. Sure. So, so triple negative is a subtype of a breast cancer and it's a more aggressive breast cancer. And the idea like uh, behind that is the, the cell like um, expresses or puts up these receptors and they're like basically like antenna. And there are three of them, estrogen, progesterone, and something called HER2. And when you have a lot of estrogen receptors on the surface of the cell, it means like estrogen is stimulating that cell to grow. So you can give something to block it. And that's easier 
to give because it's a very targeted therapy. Well, if it's negative, you don't have that. So you can't use something like an estrogen blocker. Progesterone being negative, there's really not a lot of like progesterone blockers. So we kind of just say, okay, it's negative. But then the other one is um, HER2. So there's a drug called Herceptin that you can give that blocks HER2. And it's basically like a chemotherapy drug. It's um, an antibody uh, drug and it has really great results. But if it's negative, you can't give it. So mm -hmm. now you're stuck with like, okay, you can't give any of these targeted therapies. So you have to focus on more traditional chemotherapies. They're harsher. Yeah. And so the biology of these triple negative tumors tend to be more aggressive. And we tend to also be more aggressive when um, breast, the breast team is treating those cancers. And they're more likely to, um, those patients are more likely to recur mm -hmm. and they're more likely to have a, a lower mortality over time. So it's, it's, you know, comparatively, not one of the favorable cancers. And so when I see somebody that had, um, and interestingly, this particular patient, she had a mammogram one year ago at 37, and it was completely wow. clean. She was not high risk for breast cancer. I don't even think she had any family history of breast cancer. And then she came back the next year, and she had a new lump. And it was a I think it was like a three centimeter cancer. Wow. And so, and that was triple negative. And so they can be very aggressive, very fast growing. And so they have to be treated and shepherded to the right people. And so that's my job. Find it, biopsy it, identify what it is, and then get them to the next person. So. Man, I just found my first mammogram recently. And before going in, it was so funny. They gave me a chocolate chip cookie to explain oh. to me exactly what they were doing. So it's like when you bake cookies, they flatten <laughs> out and then you can see the chocolate chips in the cookie. And so I'm like, okay. I mean, it was really sweet. That's a great concept. And I, I, I mean, I walked away with a cookie. <laughs> I had to have a mammogram, but I walked away with a cookie. So, I mean, all in all, it was not that bad of an experience for me. I know. I think is now tell, I've never actually had a mammogram myself, sure. but- <laughs> the hype and the stress of getting to the appointment is really a lot. But then it, when yeah. you're like, okay, it wasn't that bad. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't so bad. I, I mean, I can imagine how it would be bad for some women where there's not a lot of tissue there and mm -hmm. they're trying to get tissue in. Yeah. I, but I also am at a newer facility so mm -hmm. I think that our equipment, the equipment that they used was better than previous. Cause I remember hearing awful mammogram stories from, especially yeah. my mother-in-law. She, <laughs> she did not, she was awful, but I know that they've come a long way. And honestly, the procedure was not that it was not that bad it's at pretty, all. Well, and it's such a low risk thing to mm -hmm. do. Like you said, it's mm -hmm. the equivalent of like just living for three to four weeks. And if you can catch something early enough, that's going to give you years of life. Yeah. And so the discomfort, the the fear, I know it, it stops people sometimes, but it really shouldn't. It's And it's really, it's really a fast test. And the fact that you're saying that you can have a clear test and a year later have a very aggressive cancer is just all the more reason to, there's just no excuse to not keep going back and getting screened because it can turn on a dime and there's nothing you can do to prevent 
that it just happens, you know? I know. Yeah. And, you know, even as, as good as our technology has gotten, it still is an imperfect test, Mm -hmm. you know, as with everything, there's the inherent, well, if your breasts are dense, it's hard to see through like a cloudy day. Mm -hmm. If there's like birds and planes in the clouds and you can't see them because they're in in the way, it's going to be hard to find cancers like that, you know? Um, And we've, our field as it's grown has gotten into 3D mammograms, which has, you know, helped incrementally to see through denser tissue, but still it's limited, you know, for women that have extremely dense breast tissue. So there's a scale of like Mm -hmm. one to four, four being the most dense and the sensitivity of finding a cancer. So like, if it's truly there is somewhere between 40 and 60%. So it's actually pretty low Mm -hmm. when you're that dense. All in all, a mammogram is probably like 85, 88% sensitive, but the denser you get, the less sensitive you get. And so what do we do? Because 50% of the population has dense breast tissue of some type. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when I come out and tell a patient that their mammogram is negative, I want to be sure myself. (laughs) Yeah. And so it's hard, like, you know, to the best, you don't want to say to the best of my ability, it is But you kind of have to understand if you're super dense, things can hide in that breast tissue. And so Mm -hmm. it leads into the work that I'm doing now with these additional tests like contrast enhanced mammography, which has the ability to detect cancers that are hiding in dense tissue, because we're not just looking at the structure of the breast, Mm -hmm. we're looking at blood flow and the dynamics of how cancers will take up contrast and light up and we can subtract away dense tissue and then just focus on where the blood flow is going. Now, when I read that article that uh, you were mentioned in where you were talking about the contrast, that was the first time I'd heard of it. And Mm -hmm. I was just curious in the eye world, we use a lot of different things. We use fluorescein, we do fluorescein angiography because we can literally look inside the eye and see the blood flow. And as that goes through, we use something called ICG to look at different blood vessels because it leaks differently. So there's these different things that we can do. Are you injecting this into a peripheral vein? So just like, you know, like same thing in the arm, somebody's getting an IV or blood draw, you just go through that vein and inject the contrast. Yep. That's exactly. So okay. the concept is like a CT scan or any kind of MRI you know, with contrast or whatever. Yeah. Any kind it, of contrast yeah. The same thing, like patient comes in, we insert a peripheral IV. And then we hook them up to a a contrast injector and we inject them with the same amount of contrast. It's iodine-based contrast. Okay. And it's the same amount as if you were to get a CT scan of your abdomen. So it's um, it's 100 milliliters of iodine contrast. And I think since you mentioned that, you know, like the base of that, I know a lot of people are afraid because they have a shellfish allergy and they're afraid of the contrast, you know, that they might be allergic and you can be allergic to contrast, I like contrast. But if you're just allergic to shellfish, that does not mean that this is off the table. That that started forever ago. I don't know why yeah. people come in and they say I can't have contrast because I have a shellfish allergy. I'm like, yeah. it, it doesn't matter. <laughs> no. but, but they're afraid of it initially. So I I, I would love for people mm. to just know that like contrast and a shellfish allergy, whatever you've heard or read, chances are you're not just allergic to the contrast just because you have shellfish allergy. Yes, that is true. So we, when we do this test, we have to have a little kit 
whenever we give contrast, we have to like carry around our like tackle box of you know, things. Uh, I mean, it's it's very rare. I think it's like zero point one or zero point zero one percent chance of having a severe allergic reaction to contrast. We've been doing it for four years. I've only had one patient that had like some itching. And that was it. But, you know, I mean, yes, has it been reported? Absolutely. And mm-hmm. is it theoretically possible? If you do enough, would you encounter somebody that had it? Yes. Um, but it's very, very safe and very effective. And we test everybody's kidney function before because with contrast, you can't give it to patients that have like pretty bad kidney function. So we always test their kidney function before we give it. So do you give this test as a second step or is a standard of care? Hopefully in the future, this will just be the way you get tested or this is like, we don't, we don't know for sure you have dense breast tissue. So we're going to recommend. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of the wild west out there right now. Okay. So we introduce it to in a lot of different avenues. So if a patient is high risk for breast cancer, mm-hmm. they should be getting other things. And typically they should be getting a mammogram and an MRI every year. But some patients cannot do MRIs or they find MRIs to be really expensive because, I mean, they can be like on the upwards of a thousand, fifteen hundred dollars out of pocket every year. And that's really prohibitive. I mean, who wants to pay that kind of money for a screening test? Right. So they said, "Ah, I did it. I don't want to do it again. It wasn't that comfortable and I'm not paying that much money, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, and I, I completely get it. So we can offer them a test that has very similar sensitivity and similar cancer detection rate and only have to do one test once a year. Now, it is not the same as the screening mammogram in terms of cost, but it's much right. less than $1,500,000. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, so that's one particular patient population, mm-hmm. high-risk patients. We also use it for patients that like, hey, I'm reading a screening mammogram. I see something that looks kind of funny. I want to bring them back for extra pictures. Well, let's do a contrast mammogram. Mm -hmm. See if it lights up. If it doesn't light up, chances are it's not going to be cancer, right? So it helps make our decisions. But also we find incidental cancers that we would have never seen otherwise. And that's happened a number of times. Mm -hmm. So um, that's been pretty good. And then we also use it for patients that have a cancer diagnosis and can't get into an MRI machine. So um, I actually had somebody today, she had a biopsy of a cancer and the surgeon said like she couldn't get on the MRI. They wanted to know before they go into surgery, how big is the cancer? Cause her breasts were dense and it looked like it was two centimeters, but really it was five, five and a half centimeters. So we have to tell the surgeon, okay, you can't just go in there and make a little incision, we have to bracket this and say like, this is the front, this is the back. Now you're going to go in and take it out. So it, it has a lot of helpful implications for patients. And we are, my facility is the only place in the Metro Richmond area that does it at this time. Yeah. And that's something you had specifically trained on and brought to that facility, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So I did my um, fellowship at University of Virginia um, and Charlottesville and they were doing it there. And so I thought like, this is really awesome. Nobody else is doing this and it really has awesome, great implications and let's bring it down. So I brought it in 2019 and we've been doing it ever since. So, yeah. 
That's amazing. It's, it's amazing just how often things advance in medicine just because one person decides to champion it mm-hmm. or, you know, something sparks with one person and then they start doing it and then it spreads from there. It's, you yeah. know, it's not just always a journal article or somebody's at a conference that really gets the ball moving. It's just one person really saying this seems important. Right. I'm going to push for this. Yeah. And it's, it's a really interesting like type of test too, because it was developed in 2011. So it's actually a pretty old type of technology. And I think like when 3D mammograms were coming out, that got a lot of buzz because, you know, to insert an IV in anybody, it's invasive and it's going to limit the number of people. Plus you're giving a contrast agent. So it's just not ideal to like give to the masses. But we're trying to make it more normalized. We're trying to talk it up more. Mm-hmm. And we're really trying to let patients know, if you want to do something more, we have this for you. Mm-hmm. We try not to be pushy with it because everyone's different. You know, some people can barely come in and get their mammograms. And some people want to do everything under the sun. So we try to be inclusive and not salesy and pushy about things, you know. So it's that's the... That's like one of the things in like medicine is like the balance of like talking to somebody about a test. It could be more money. I have no idea what your insurance is going to pay, but here's like, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure how to feel about you calling that a somewhat old test. And then you listed the year we graduated (laughs) medical school. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's. (laughs) Yeah. No, but it's it's already been you know it's been a while already. It's, it's been, been twelve years plus mm-hmm. uh, coming up soon, so uh, it, it it passes quickly. Now, yeah. a lot of the stuff we we like to focus on, and when we interview people, are just those those moments you have with patients and those interactions. And mm-hmm. it sounds like you have some pretty sweet uh, moments with patients where you know, they're scared and you find something or they're scared and you don't find something. Any any particular patients jump out to you where you, you just really connect with the person or their, their story really touched you? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I see a lot of, of patients and one particular woman I remember, she was, she was like 37. She had four kids. She was the wife of a man in the army and she was stationed on base and she came up to see us because she had a new lump in her right breast. So she brought like three of her kids along with her and it was in the middle of like COVID. So we were really limiting the number of people that were coming in. And so, you know, our staff was like, what are we going to do with these kids? (laughs) So, so my manager, who's my age she was like i've got three kids of my own i understand what it's like she drove like 45 minutes from the army base to come up here like we have to see her and i'm Mm -hmm. like absolutely (laughs) we don't turn people away at all so she went out and watched her kids while she in the car while she came up and got her imaging and she came up and her breast was a rock it was red hard thick and i remember seeing the mammogram being like oh my god this this is this is bad this is what we call an inflammatory breast cancer so it presents almost like an infection because the breast is really hard and painful and and um 
really thick and and it's red and you know you look at it and you're like oh yeah a red breast sounds like mastitis but it's not and um when i went to do the ultrasound you know you can barely see anything through because it's so dense and full of cancer and then when you scan up under her arm you see the lymph nodes that are like the size of golf balls under her oh, arm wow. and then as you move over under the um, pec muscle where so you have level one nodes under the arm like right underneath and then you move a little bit more towards the middle of the chest underneath the pec muscle and you can see more lymph nodes and more so you're going to different levels of two and three and you just see like it's just these things are massive and you know that she has at least like a stage three cancer and you know then it's it's time to talk about what this is and what our next steps are. And so, you know, doing a biopsy to prove that it's cancer is the next step. And, you know, just kind of telling her what I think it is. And she was a little caught off guard because she thought it might be, have been mastitis because she had four kids. It presented, mm -hmm. like yeah. mastitis, but it, it, you know, it wasn't. And, you know, every time I talk to them and say, I think that it's going to be a cancer. We're never hundred percent sure, but this is what it is. You kind of have to break the ice. And if you say it once, then it starts to sink in and then you do the biopsy and, and then it sinks in even more. So in our line of work, we tend to have patients come back for biopsies because we have to schedule them. But for this patient, I was like, her kids are here. We got to do this. We have to do it now. So we did the biopsies and, Breast biopsy is not the most comfortable thing, but they're yeah. in office on um, little local anesthesia, numbing medication, little sting and burn and do the biopsy. And sure enough, it, it came back as like a, a triple negative inflammatory breast cancer. And she had a number of lymph nodes on her follow-up imaging. And then she started with chemotherapy along her course. And you can see like the cancer really wasn't shrinking even with her chemotherapy. And then on one of her other follow-up scans, her lymph node on her other side of her body under other arm started to become bigger. So this is a chance that I had to call her, bring her back and see her through her process. And she was just like the nicest, most grateful person, but she kind of knew that it wasn't gonna, it, this, path for her wasn't going to to go well. And we, I had to have her do a biopsy of the lymph node under her arm. So now what was a stage three has become metastatic breast cancer stage four. So, and when chemotherapy isn't working and you're 37 years old, it's, it's really, it's really crappy. It's you terrifying. Know? Yeah. yeah. Because, you know, I, I don't, I, ha I haven't followed up with her, her um, stuff in a while, but she's, I mean, for all intents and purposes, she's probably not going to survive. And you could just see like, she was a very vibrant, lively person. And then when she came back for the biopsy, while she was so grateful and, you know, her compassion was there, you could just see like her, her bot, like her body was tired from everything. So that's, that's one of the patients that really like struck me the most. And it's those patients, she was, she was younger than we would have ever started screening mammograms. It's like, how do you catch those patients? I, I don't know yet. 
because it's it's you know it's sad for that type of person and it it doesn't happen that frequently but it definitely does and um you know you think about like how could we how could we have saved this mother and um what how can we do better with our screening is there anything else out there that could catch it earlier so. mm-hmm. yeah and i think that's what drives a lot of us to learn more mm-hmm. to always study always keep trying new things like you're doing the things with the contrast now to improve people's outcome and sensitivity but uh in undergraduate i worked in a pancreatic cancer research lab mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And just by the time I went to get, you know, the second sample, a lot of those patients had already passed away by the time they got the diagnosis. And then we were trying to track these markers, but it sounds so great to screen everybody. It's like, well, why don't you screen people starting at 20? Why don't you screen people? But if you look at the numbers, you don't help people. And usually sometimes you start causing harm. And yes. as a doctor, our primary tenant is do no harm. And so it sounds great. Yeah. Let's start screening girls as soon as they hit puberty. It's mm-hmm. just like, it's, going to just cause so much more discomfort, pain just yeah. for everybody and you're, not, and you're not going to save more lives. And so, yeah, it's like, we want to do more. We're willing to do more, but we just want that more to be effective, not just doing more. We want to like have better outcomes. And so far the in, increased screening has not led to increased out or better outcomes with some of these things, at least right until hopefully it's tipping now with contrast with mri with some of these other technologies having herceptin has been great having Mm -hmm. some of these estrogen blockers starting to move the needle but it's that first diagnosis and it's tough like you said like those are the moments that stick with you sometimes it's the people that survived against all odds and some people it's just the stories that stick with us are the people that just so sweet and you just couldn't do much more fair Yeah, that's yeah. I um I started this. I guess I guess maybe I was a little bit of a sucker, but I love to help my surgical colleagues. They are physically like right next door to us in the same place, and I love that because it's like academic light. They come over and we talk about cases. <laughs> and over. I'm like, hey, I got this really interesting thing, and we work together, and it's really great. But this one surgeon, he's he takes call obviously in the in the hospital, and we're an office like right next to the main hospital, but he lets me do all of his in-hospital bedside biopsies. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I'll do the biopsy. That's cool. It's fine. But some of them that come in really are just, I mean, in the past like six months, I mean, I've seen these most neglected cancers that are just astonishing. And I saw somebody that she was from a rural location and her entire breast was just sunken and and her arm had so much lymphedema because of how much the cancer infiltrated her axilla. And I talked to her and I was like, I I like, I just want to know, like, how do you get to this point, mm-hmm. you know, and I find that like really fascinating because it's not just about the medicine, but it's also like the patient and what they're thinking and how do they get to that point and how, how could we like, is there an educational problem? Like what, what happened? And so I just asked, I'm like, so when did this all begin? 
you know? She's like, well, last year they told me that I had cancer um, or they thought it was a cancer. And I had a friend and she said, you know, you know, if you get a biopsy and they stick a needle and it's going to spread everywhere. So don't do that. And you know how many times I hear that? It's, wow. it's not infrequent. It's like a thing because in like the concept of seeding the tract um, is spread in a lot of communities. And I don't really know like where this came from. I mean, it, it is true for certain cancers, but not for breasts, not no. And so for this patient, she didn't have a biopsy and it got huge and became, basically became an, you know, metastatic breast cancer. And she will die from this because she had the wrong information. So how, how do we do a better job to infiltrate like the community with the right, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, I remember a patient in medical school that uh, came from rural West Virginia and showed up on our door and was just sicker than anything you'd ever seen and just metastatic cancer to the point where every part of her was cancer. We could push mm -hmm. on skin and find nodules. Mm -hmm. Half of her lung was just a massive cancer. It started as a renal cell carcinoma, but she never got checked, never was seen. And we talked to her and she said, you know, like my family was against me coming here because anytime anybody that we've known has gone to the hospital, they die. Mm -hmm. And so that was her story too. So that was just another thing. But if she'd come in early, the type of cancer she had actually had a decent chemotherapy available mm -hmm. at that time. Yeah. But she waited so long to be seen that we couldn't do anything for her. It had already progressed so far. And so within a couple of days of her getting to the hospital, she passed away. And I just knew, I just, I didn't know how to break that cycle because once again, the family was, you know, she was doing okay. She was, you know, sick, but she was okay. And then she went to the hospital and two days later, she's dead. And so it's just one more story of just, you know, that's what happens when you go to the doctor. That's what happens when you go to the hospital. So catching those people early, I, I don't know how to break through some of those stigmas or those stereotypes or just those old wives tales but sometimes right. it's the system itself I, I had somebody just a few months ago young patient 37 year old mother as well and she had a bulging eye proptotic eye mm -hmm. and she had to go to three doctors before they knew which doctor to send it to they're just like oh i don't know that doesn't look normal you should see this person she bounced around somebody took a picture and said hey is this something you see and i'm like oh my gosh like you know i was already like bells were going off. I was really concerned for this patient. That's not a normal appearing. I was really worried about cancer just from the yeah. picture. And I said, I will see her tomorrow, get an MRI yeah. today. I saw her as quick as I could. And then that was like a Thursday or Friday. I was in the surgery on Monday doing a biopsy. And, you know, it turned out to be an aggressive type of cancer that has a 50% mortality. And it's just so hard. And you sit with those patients and you just have to tell them that, you know, these lives, the life that you had and the plans that you had and the future is yeah. going to be different. Whether right. you survive or not, it's different. You are now going to be somebody that survived cancer or you're going to be somebody that was involved with it or don't make it. And it's, it's just changing everything. And those are hard, hard conversations. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know what we do either. I don't know how we change perception or just, just please try to get in. If your doctor wants to refer you, get right. referred, see yeah. a person. I try to tell people, even with money, we can't repossess your health. So go pay what mm -hmm. you can get the right. help, get the treatment, 
if you end up not being able to pay your bills, you know, like just pay what you can, but we, yeah. nobody's going to repossess your health or your life. So living, living's worth it. Just yeah. do it. Yeah, that's true. Can't, but they can't take back your, what, once they've treated you, they can't take that back and repossess it. So, yeah, I actually, I did a biopsy on this guy a couple of weeks ago. Um, and this is why I also love my job too, because it's not just breast. Sometimes I, because the axillary lymph nodes are kind of my, Mm -hmm. I domain too. Everybody in the hospital mm -hmm. knows like, <laughs> so I'll get like calls from oncologists. Like, can you get this? Can you biopsy this? I'm like, sure. I'll give it a try. You know, that's, mm -hmm. I'm always like, I'll give it a try. If I yeah. can do it, I'll do it. If not, then I won't do it. So this guy, he's 41 year old. He was playing with his kids. He, he did a push up and he fractured his humerus. And yeah, he was totally healthy before he comes in like MRI of his humerus, his shoulder. It's just like all completely eaten away by cancer. And so they did a biopsy. They took, um, while they were repairing his um, humerus, they took a biopsy sample of the tissue and it came back as some highly aggressive uh, carcinoma of unknown primary. And so the hunt was on to, to determine where it was and he couldn't get a pet yet because his insurance company wouldn't approve a pet. Of course yeah. not. Yeah. Um, which is that's nother. another part of the, yeah, that's in a whole nother conversation, the insurance getting involved right. with what we can do. Yeah. So they were like, okay, the CT scan showed like there could be like this little lymph node looks a little bit bigger. One of the oncologists said, can you biopsy it? So yeah. So he comes in, so he is the nicest guy, of course, you know, the nicest guy, his, his hips, he's walking with a cane because his hip is also, they repaired his hip because it's about, you know, to pathologically fracture. So he has a cane, he can barely lift his arm up and we have to get up under his arm. And so like my nurse is like holding his arm up as we're getting under there. And he's just like so grateful and so thankful. And so I did the biopsy. It actually, it was negative. So I followed up on his, his case and he got an EGD and a, like an esophagram essentially. Um, and he had occult, um, esophageal cancer at the age of 41. And that's, and it went metastatic that quickly and he didn't yeah. have swallowing abnormalities, nothing, nothing. Wow. I know. And, and it was like, yeah. everywhere in his abdomen and. And like, you can't, there's, it's not like you're screening 41 year olds for that. There's, there's not, oh. it's just like, that's just life just hits you hard. And we just don't yeah. have a way to fix that yet. No, no, it was, we, I like, that was one of those things where you feel it because you're like, this guy is like my age and his life is like my life. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's tough. That is tough. Yeah. So, but you know, it's interesting, like we're, kind of mentioning about how do we screen earlier or whatever. Um, but our facility, we're starting a, we have started like a high risk program. And so because we see a lot of people, you know, women mostly, but, you know, just a large population of healthy people in general that come through our door, we have implemented this um, genetics lab that gets their information as, as, 
as their intake mm -hmm. or their entry, and it filters it through the NCCN criteria for genetic testing. And so if they qualify based on their family history for genetic testing, then they're offered the option to do it on site at the time of their appointment. And so I thought it started in November that no one's going to do this. I was like, who's going <laughs> to And it actually has been really interesting. About 20% of our population, which um, people so far, so like 230 patients out of about 5,000 have done it. And we've found 17 genetic mutations um, so far. So it's wow. pretty okay. interesting, you know? And now we're like, okay, now what do we do with these people? <laughs> <laughs> do you screen them twice a year? Do you always yeah. do the MRI? What do you, yeah, exactly. What do you well, do with those people that are high just, risk? It's not just breasts. It's yeah. about colon and pancreatic. And it's like, okay, now we've really opened up the door for <laughs> like, a high risk clinic of other things. What do we do with these people? Mm -hmm. So now we're like, the hospital, we're all in talks about like, what do we do? Mm -hmm. um, but it's, it's cool because we have this opportunity and we're also exploring like those multi um, panel genetic uh, cancer screening tests, mm -hmm. tests to look for, you know, other, other cancers too. So maybe we can offer a whole host of tests for people that want it not to be pushy, but yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean, hopefully that's the wave of the future, early mm -hmm. detection, early risk assessment, right. you know, even the new ColoGuard thing, where it's just testing the stool for mm -hmm. cancerous cells. I'm, you know, the same thing we run into with that, with the insurance companies, if you get that, then sometimes they don't want to pay for your colonoscopy, even though now it's a high risk colonoscopy and you really need it. They're like, well, you already were screened. So <laughs> like the legislation and what insurances cover is lagging yeah. behind some of these advancements, but advancements are being made. So it's, it's an important yeah. thing. Yeah. Now I know it's getting kind of late there. So um, we've had you for about an hour. <laughs> so I, I appreciate you spending an hour with us. I appreciate your stories and also just what you're pushing for, trying to get yeah. new technology, being willing to try things, to do things, to improve patient care and outcomes. So, and now I got to go schedule my mammogram. Yeah. Schedule, <laughs> a couple months from yeah. now. Ske schedule your mammograms. Don't miss out. It's not as yeah. bad as uh, what people say. You might get a cookie. I don't know. You might. <laughs> I, I like this cookie thing. Yeah. I, I'm a big fan. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if you institute the cookies at your institution, yeah. just, uh, you know, just, yeah, remember us every once in a while when you hand out a cookie. <laughs> well, well Ryan, inviting me. Yeah, have a great Bye. night. Hi, this is Dr. Dave. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Please rate, review, and share this episode so that we can continue to get you more stories in the future.